Like notes through the hourglass, these are the songs of our lives. Hello and welcome to Songs of Our Lives. I am Brad Rose. I am a musician, a composer, a writer, the founder of Foxy Digitalis, and a bunch of other things. And I've been obsessed with sound and music for as long as I can remember. And on here, each week, I invite somebody on who I like, uh, know, respect, think is interesting, admire, I don't know, a whole bunch of other things. Maybe it's all of those things. And... We talk about songs that have meant a lot to them throughout their lives and learn so much and laugh and maybe sometimes cry and all sorts of other things along the way. This week, my guest is James Ginsburg of Empty Set, Subtext Records, a million other things. And I'm so excited to have James on here because I've known James for over a decade now and any excuse I can come up with to get him on Zoom and reconnect and talk about things, that's great for me. And this time, that's great for you, because this was a extremely fun conversation. I had to cut out a little portion at the beginning because it was already getting too long, but we talked a lot about his uh, production and engineering work that he's been doing, which has been really exciting. I can tell you, if there's anything James is, you see that he is like mixed or produced, you should listen to it because it's probably really good. Things that are going on right now, he has a new Empty Set EP that is coming out, and I don't know, James is very busy. As a note, if you really enjoy these and want a little bit more, highly recommend joining the Patreon, patreon.com slash foxydigitalis, because each episode has an extra section with some other questions and conversation, and it's just, you know, a little bit more. Plus, there's a bunch of other great stuff over there, and it really helps support the cause. Otherwise, we recorded this over Zoom. It was so much fun. I, again, any excuse to talk to James is a great thing for me, and I hope you all enjoy it as much as I do. All right, my guest today is a musician, a producer, is in another timeline, is a huge folk star, and has the most glorious head of auburn hair you've ever seen. Please welcome to Songs of Our Lives, James Ginsburg. How's it going? Uh, very well, very well, thank you. Um, thank you for the introduction. I, I had... Um, breakfast yesterday with some friends and the waitress uh wouldn't stop referring to me as Apex Quinn uh <laughs> and uh, you know I think the having red hair has been the bane of my existence uh up until the point where I decided to own it and grow sort of aging musician shoulder length of you know ginger hair or whatever but now it's come to cost that I wasn't prepared to pay <laughs> I feel like that's probably a thing it, you would get more in a place like Berlin than most places. Yeah, I, yeah, that's fair. I probably I, I've created the situation for myself doubly I, 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 <laughs> yeah. by growing it. This is, this is entirely your own fault. Um, so there, the, like I wanted to do this just because you and I haven't talked for a while, and um, but there's a new empty set EP coming out, which is the first one in a while. Why, why now? Like what? Why was the timing right for this now? 
That's an interesting question. I think, um, you know, I think in, we, we've basically been working together in one form or another, or another for about um, almost 20 years, I guess, in, like, I think 18 years now sort of thing. And um, uh, I think we went through various phases with it. I think we, um, we went through a phase where we were touring it very heavily and within a certain, you know, set of aesthetic constraints. Uh, we then sort of tried various ways of expanding uh, those aesthetic constraints and, you know, tying that into how we were performing the material. And I think as probably is inevitable in any very, very close working relationship, like it, it was uh, always a very inspiring, but sometimes very, very intense process. And I think after our last record, which was in 2019, which was Blossoms that we put out on Thrill Jockey. So basically, we, we you know, we, we, we were touring, we, we were trying to basically tour this record we made out of uh outputs from this uh machine learning system and uh when the pandemic started we were just kind of relieved that we wouldn't have to finish the tour because i think to have completed the tour would have meant rethinking what we were doing substantially and but you know on top of that i think we just after working together so long and being in all those very particular kinds of stressful situations that um in pressure cookers that being in a project with right. another person creates uh you know there was a lot of uh you know, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff to go through. And I think we, we didn't really have it. We didn't really have a chance to kind of meet and really kind of like hug it out until Unsound last year in Krakow. And, um, you know, it was kind of one of those, like I had played with another project I'm doing with uh, Hilda Goodnadotter, um, her husband, Sam Slater, and really uh, Shabara from Sanyawa. And uh, after the show, I think we just, you know, we're kind of, backstage at the rave having a good cry <laughs> had a good cry Beautiful. and uh and i think you know got a lot of stuff um kind of cleared up and then since then i think we just we you know we wanted to put our dip our toes in the water so i was like well, why don't we just sort of put together like an ep and then we started doing that and then it's like well why don't we you know arrange a show or two and then we started doing that and then i think very quickly you know, the, the kind of positive and fun parts of the collaboration and I guess the kind of creative chemistry kind of was there again. So it just felt like um, a really kind of healthy and positive uh, yeah. kind of thing to do. And um, and I think both of us are kind of excited about the projects uh, again. And we're, we're talking about doing a, a new record, like a new album next year. So um so yeah, it's just kind of one of those things that kind of a blockage cleared and, you know, it all sort of came together. That's, yeah, I I know the feeling. I mean, I I had to take a break from myself, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but uh, yeah, I was just really, I, I kind of, I never really even asked you, but there was, in, in the back of my mind, I was like, I wonder if Empty Set is just kind of done. And, you know, if it was, it was. But I, I, I thought it was. I mean, I think, I think, uh, I kind of went through a many year complicated sort of emotional processing of the kind mm -hmm. of sense that the project was, uh, you know, had run its course. And it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's a very particular kind of um, discomfort uh, going, <laughs> letting go of something that is contributed to such a huge part of your life. And I guess yes. probably a huge part of your ego. And I guess that's probably the really uncomfortable part is you're like, well, without that, yeah. what, what am I? Do I, am I, do I have, do I have a role? Do I have like a purpose? Do I, am I, am I now just really like, you know, some kind of old dude, oh you know, with a bunch of studio yeah. equipment in this house, you know what I mean? So am I a cliche? I have long hair now. Oh God, has it happened? So 
Um, so yeah, there, there was it was a long process. Um, kind of, I mean, even before the last record, I think I'd already started to kind of mourn it. Um, but I, I feel I've probably got a peculiar habit of um, starting to mourn things long before they're gone to somehow mitigate the pain of actually losing them. But does it work? No. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't think so, but I was hopeful <laughs> for, for you and for anybody else who wants to try that. No, I totally know what you mean. And that's, and I think we talked about this. We did an interview, I don't know, it was a couple of years ago when your solo record came out and how <clears throat> when you, when you're able to kind of process those things and let go of things, then, and if you come back to it or you continue on or whatever, it, there's, it just, it feels different. Like it's, like I know for me, I'm I'm less concerned about. I think I think the way you put it is like you don't you're not as worried about the points. Like the points are nice, like but you're not as worried about all. You know those things don't feel as they don't have this weight or you yeah, know, it's like yeah, I don't know. totally. But I, it was interesting even just like announcing this record that <laughs> I I did go slightly mad for about three or four hours when you know <laughs> we started kind of announcing it. And so again, like I'm not, I, I'm certainly not immune to, um, uh, right. you know, getting uh, overwhelmed and emotional about or f about this sort of weird idea of feeling exposed in some kind of very microcosmic <laughs> kind of fashion or whatever. But yes. um, so, uh, so that's good. I guess I'm still alive. <laughs> Which is yeah. well, and, and, hof and hopefully it doesn't like keep you up at night. No, I mean once 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 things went out and. You know, it was clear that people seem to like it. And um, I mean, even if I don't know, I, I, I don't think I, it's weird how like expectations snowball. Like, you know, I think yeah. at first I was like, oh, I'll just throw a record out. I'm like, oh, I'll just do a few gigs, but who cares? And then suddenly it's more like, oh, cool. Do people like it? Oh, cool. What's next? You know, it's, it's really, it's somehow, um, it's like cocaine, I guess. Like, you know, you just think like, oh, I, what, what was that like? I don't remember what that was like. I'll just have a little, oh, yes, it's that yeah, thing. Just no? a little taste, yeah. like, oh, <laughs> shit, okay. Oh, it's that thing. All right, well, yeah, we oh, probably don't need to do that again. And then, you know. Right. Uh, yeah, so um, I um, I guess stay off of drugs and stay off of the aspirational music career. Is the <laughs> words, words to live by. We, we should get into the meat of this and start with, what is the first song you remember? Uh, I might actually have to look at it because I, 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 so one of the things that we talked about is that I, my memory for the name of music is, <laughs> so I've, I've actually screenshotted all my answers because I knew I wouldn't be able to remember the actual names of songs. So the first song I remember hearing uh, was the, well, it was the entire Flashdance soundtrack, but as a sort of, <laughs> you know, uh, miniaturization of that, I'm going to say Flashdance, dot, 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 ellipsis, what a feeling by Irene Cara. Um, and it's it's very strange. I feel like the first two records I ever heard were the Flashdance soundtrack because my mom had it, and the Beatles White Album. And I <laughs> experience a very similar emotion when I hear tracks from either of those records, which it's kind of like a you know straight line into like the the the, the earliest part of my mammalian core somehow like mm -hmm. and those the, the synth lines that open that track like give me they, they resonate emotionally in the way that no other music um can resonate emotionally so it's kind of awkward when it comes on in a car full of people and i'm, I'm taken back to the womb <laughs> yeah i gosh i i don't remember like i don't remember the movie at all i don't remember i i'm sure i've seen it but this song and i hadn't thought about this song in so long and 
I kind of feel like I had a, like as soon as because I was you know I was listening to all the stuff you sent and this it was like yeah as soon as those opening synth lines it was just like oh I'm it's kind of remarkable and the other thing I was like oh man Irene Kara can she could fucking sing yeah yeah I mean the whole soundtrack it, the whole soundtrack is like it's a certified banger like from beginning to end yeah. and, um, but uh, it's confusing because. Obviously, that informed my aesthetic sensibilities, and but it is interesting that despite having such a, a sort of um, early conditioning with synthesized music, it really took you know until I was I moved to England at about seventeen before I actually started listening to electronic music in any aware and earnest <laughs> fashion. But I realized that um, you know uh, Irene Cara has has a lot to do with my entire life and career. That's that's amazing. That's that's awesome i love that's like the the yeah the line from empty set to irene karen <laughs> direct line straight line don't direct line. <laughs> no one would ever guess yeah. now i i've had and i've had this song stuck in my head for like three days too because it's just i'm just you know take your passion it's very inspirational yeah, yeah um, no, it makes me it makes me glad to to have had the opportunity to live but for one lifetime right yeah god um well we, we've already talked about crying once in this conversation. Um, so I'm going to guess that you, you are, you're a bit of a crier. Is that, is... I, I am, I am, I'm very, the emotion to tear pathway is very short. Sometimes I just cry for inexplicable reasons. Like, uh, yeah. you know, something about a particular way a table is like resting upon the floor. <laughs> it just, just really cuts to the core of my being. Uh, well, I'm I'm a big crier, so I understand, like, and especially uh, especially since my kid was born. The, yeah, it's the same thing where it's like the most random things. I'll just be standing there, like, am I getting teary eyed? Yeah, over this. Yeah, but I get it. <laughs> the way the light is in this room, I don't know. <laughs> I get it. Like one of the reasons why I'm, I'm afraid to have children is that if I think about the idea of having a child, I start to cry. <laughs> <laughs> it's fair. It's. It is very intense. Um, well, okay. So, what's a song that makes you cry? Yeah. So, um, this th there are a few songs that I, I come to mind. Um, I think the one that I remember crying uh, over most recently was uh, "Who Wants to Live Forever" by Queen. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm not a fan of Queen. I I, I think I'm a fan <laughs> of Freddie Mercury in principle. Um, uh -huh. I think I'm like an anti fan of Brian May. Uh, you know, not in principle, but just by a, you know, re regal edict. And, um, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think basically that, that, that is the kind of emotional, um, kind of core of the film Highlander. Uh, and, uh, if we recall Highlander, it's the, the protagonist, the Highlander is played by a Spanish man pretending to have a Scottish accent against her from, mm -hmm. you know, Sean Connery, who is a, uh, Sorry, it's not a Spanishman. He's a Frenchman trying to have a, a Scottish accent. Right, and right, right. Sean Connery is a Scotchman trying to be Spanish. And um, but somehow, despite the film's um, very shoddy construction, acting, um, you know, sonography, etc., I think it's the combination of the kind of rugged Scottish landscapes and that Queen song that mean that uh, a uh, the, the sort of um, the sentiment of basically, you know. The transience of of kind of life, uh, you know. I guess within mm -hmm. the concept of the film, it's the transience of life set against the kind of eternality of the Highlander. So the Highlander is almost like the kind of the universe itself, like watching the kind of like birth and death of all sort of manifestations, you know. 
And, right. um, and so I think for some reason, the combination of that <laughs> film and the song, I, I can't hear it without like realizing that everything's going to come to an end. And it is, it is, I know other than the, <laughs> well, it is, it is a silly song, but I think it also doesn't help that, um, you know, spend a lot of time in Scotland because my family's from there and uh, we've got mm. a sort of family place up there. And um, I say up there, although from Berlin, it's, it's over there, I should it's... say. Um, <laughs> but uh, it is technically a little bit further north, but um but uh, yeah, so the last time I was there in August, uh, I had a couple of friends up from Slovenia. Um, and so we wanted to, to get into the mood. Right? So we, watched, we watched Highlander. And then for oh the next gosh. week, we proceeded to go on all kinds of hikes, some in the Highlands, some elsewhere. And the thing is, every moment of poignancy, uh, of the, the sort of beauty of the heather going on the kind of rolling sort of auburn, rainy hills of Scotland, uh, you know, was was constantly soundtracked by um, Freddie Mercury wailing in my head. And the thing is, I, I, I was living living with an eternal, singular, glistening tear uh, coming out of my 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 eyes. And um, uh, and yeah, it's it's all just fucking. Uh, I love it. Yeah, it's all just I love an it. Islander. It's terrible, but I it's... guess I just demonstrate something about like the simulacrum that we all inevitably right. become. And um, hey ho. But uh, Fred, Freddie Mercury sings it like he means it. I, I respect him for that. I know. I I I just yeah. I, I don't know. I love "Who Wants to Live Forever." It's just as a message. I think that is. I don't know. It it feels aspirational in a weird way because it is yeah. And I also think you know, like I I can't imagine being in a band with Freddie Mercury and someone comes like, "Hey, you're gonna sing the first verse of this song," <laughs> and then like. It's like, man, he must have pissed somebody off. To... <laughs> I mean, the, the, the first, the I'm... first, uh, the first uh, what is it, stanza is is pretty. It's there's no time for us. There's no place for us. What is this thing that builds our dreams yet slips away from us? I'm like, well, you know, it's like, all right, Shakespeare, can slow your roll, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, coming out swinging. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, I love. Yeah, God, I love the high. I had. Like, because I, I didn't, I don't associate this with Highlander at all. Oh, wow. So, like, now, but now that you said that, I'm like, oh, and I. Is he not old enough for Highlander? I don't know. You know, it's a weird thing when, yeah. So, so she's 10, and we're constantly in this space of figuring out, like, is she is, like, is she old enough to watch this movie that we want to show her or the. And I'm really bad about it. Right. Okay. Like bad as in you, you sort of can't quite work out the line or that sometimes you overstep and sometimes you understep. Or... Uh, all of those things. Yeah. Sometimes, it, I mean, it's it's hard to work out the line and then it's, you know, it, it, yeah. And then it's like, okay, should we, I mean, and I showed her Star Wars at like four, which was in hindsight, not great, not a good plan. Um and so now I think I'm like hypersensitive to, you know, I mean, and now, but she's also at the age where she doesn't give a single shit about anything we like, or, you know, I mean, it's like, we'll always be like, oh, hey, I think you'd really like this. We're going to uh, like, we really want to watch the movie, The Goonies. Do you remember The Goonies? Of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Was that a rhetorical Which, question I, or what? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I was going to end the interview if you didn't, um, no, but we can't, you know, there's, some parts that maybe you're scared. I don't know. I feel like I saw the Goonies when I was like six, but also I, I you know, I'd say I turned out okay, but did I? Well, I, I think we also have to presume that a lot of the things that were like uh, monolithic in our youth 
are the reasons why we've had to deprogram various kind of prejudicial biases right. in the world sort of thing. And I think Goonies is a good a good example yes. of uh, you know the sort of um, the torture that you know uh, people of Asian descent had to suffer through yes. in the eighties and the school Absolutely. system or whatever. You know, what I mean? but I think you know the Highlander. Yeah. The Highlander is good, clean fun. Um, there is some okay. gratuitous decapitations. There is. Uh, there's an, one insinuation of, but definitely not articulation of sexual violence. Um, and otherwise, there is um, there's a little bit of lighthearted eroticism, I suppose. But I, it's very, um, it's very, uh, you know, I, I would say it's, it's, it's tastefully done enough that one wouldn't necessarily come away okay. from it with a clear understanding of what sexual intercourse was. Um, Okay. Oh, my daughter has. Uh, <laughs> Where's this sentence going to? <laughs> yeah. Well, so she was like, there was a period a couple of years ago where she was super interested in babies and pregnancy and all those right. things. Yeah, yeah. And so Eden like bought this textbook about being pregnant, and my daughter like read it. Looked at. She knows. She understands. So that, yeah. That that's that's old news. <laughs> okay. Well, I think maybe. I guess the weird thing is for me, like that film, it has a weird alchemy where it's it's. You know, if you look at it shot by shot and you look at it performance by performance, it is objectively rubbish, but there's some strange right. kind of alchemy that happens. I don't know if it's in the editing yeah. or what, where you're just like, why, why did I enjoy that? Why even like 30 years since the first time I saw it, maybe 35 years, why do I still um, enjoy it and why do I still cry? And I, I can't answer that. Um, prob I, I still can't. I mean, I do the same thing happens when I'm in Scotland. If I, if I look at like a, a hill... I cry. <laughs> so yeah, obviously something's going on there. <laughs> it's you know, there are some things that, that that's they're unexplainable, but they just are they just are. And Highlander and its emotional impact on you is one of those things. Wonderful. I'm glad that you understand me. <laughs> I I do. Um well on the flip side of that, what's a song that always that puts you in a better mood? Uh I'm going to have to go with uh Allahu by Nusrat Fateh Ali mm. Khan. Um, I think that what's kind of interesting about kind of quality music in general is that, you know, the, all the songs are either basically, you know, sort of about God, they're sort of like a right. devotional and, um, or they're about sort of romance or they're kind of both about both things at the same time in a very ambiguous mm -hmm. way. And, uh, so I think there's something that is like, um, I, it's, it's music that evokes and articulates a kind of universal ecstasy. And uh, <laughs> I don't think, uh, yeah, it's very, very, it's very difficult to not somehow um, have one's attention drawn towards the generally miraculous aspects of existing. Um, yes. Uh, when I listen to his music. It's, it's funny. So <laughs> knowing that this is your pick for this, because this song like it's so incredible like i feel like it could go in a number of categories here but it's knowing that this is your pick for this i'm like oh no wonder james and i get along because so my pick for this category was govinda jj by alice coltrane and it's the same thing it's like this sacred it's this xdc cell you know and it and, and i feel like these yeah, like these songs kind of channel a similar energy but this in, in, a, in a very different way like this feels i don't know this feels like more sharp and focused and but it's all uh this is i i think i've heard i had heard this once or twice in my life and i completely forgot about it and i've been l just listening to his stuff a ton this week because it's so 
It's so good. Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, it's in there's so much of it. Like, because it's yes. the thing. All the live, all the recordings, of live performances are kind of. They're all sort of, they're all unique and they're all kind of preferable to studio recordings in some sort of way. And even mm -hmm. I, I, I mean, I unfortunately never got a chance to see him when he was alive, but I went to see um, his nephew um, uh, perform at the Barbican in London a few years ago. And um, oh, wow. with, you know, a lot of the original bands. And again, it's just, I, I don't think I've ever had an out-of-body experience while listening to music other than in that circumstance. <laughs> Something very peculiar and very wonderful. Yeah, there's something about it too. It's like like the rhythm and his voice, and it, like it all feels just it's so relentless. Like it never lets up, and I think it's it just kind of pushes you to yeah, like out of body. I can totally imagine, especially experiencing this music live and uh, amazing. And it's I've always, I always said that if I ever became religious and converted completely on the basis of the music, I would totally like become Muslim because. They got the best music. Yeah, true story. <laughs> um, you know, I think uh, <laughs> something I've been thinking about a lot recently is just that I think Christians just got a really bad deal, you know, because I think basically having a sort of to deal with this sort of, um, you know, uh, like the, the sort of divine made concrete in the form of Jesus, it's, you just got a lot of more deprogramming to do. You know, yeah, like with from from, it's a, true. from from a Jewish upbringing, we just you kind of got this God thing, and it's okay. So as soon as you can kind of forget, okay, it's not some dude in the sky, then you can basically just really quickly convert it into like, oh, there's like broadly, there's a totality of some sort. The universe is kind of alive, yeah, whatever. Like the the deprogramming process is, I think, a little bit easier. Whereas Jesus, you either kind of gotta like become him, which causes problems, or you've got to really like say goodbye. And either way, it's 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 a lot more work, you know? Yeah. That's man getting deep on it. <laughs> sorry, Thursday sorry, sorry. How do I come back? <laughs> no, I mean, there's a lot of wonderful right. things about, I'm sure, about uh, the, the Christian tradition, and they've got a lot of good music too. But you know, I'm just I'm just trying to yeah. <laughs> establish well, establish yeah. my word as well. Um, <laughs> well, this uh, so like I said, the the I feel like the answer for the last question could have easily been the answer to this next question, which is what is objectively. Because, you know, I'm very objective and Foxy Digitalis is very objective and believe in objectively best things. What is objectively the best song of all time? Uh, so I think this this is, a uh, you know, it is an impossible um, yes. question to answer. But I think in terms of a song that has everything, uh, it, you know, it's, 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 it's the kitchen sink. I'm going to go with uh, George Clinton, Atomic Dog. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, I think... Uh, <laughs> I think, but I think, you know, listeners beware, there are some remastered versions floating around that completely undermine the, um, the point of the track, mm -hmm. uh, by, you know, adding superfluous treble. Um, but I, I feel like, um, there is something so like tightly funky, something completely acidically, uh, deranged, uh, there's, there's something very, there's something, um, uh, it's, it's, it's poetry. It's it's rhythm. It's like the the peak peak time for synthesis. Uh, like yeah. the kind of uh, the interplay between the melodic lines and the vocal lines, like gives me shivers every time I listen to it. And um, uh, it's peak moog. It's it's just peak everything. And uh, there isn't and it, and, it, and it just it just keeps on going. It just it just keeps on going. And it's also like you know. It's about cats and dogs, and, <laughs> and and it's I mean it's fun as hell. Like that's it's you know, I mean like it's like technically and in musically it's 
it's this like deranged genius thing and and it works it works in a wedding know. it works in like it works in the cadillac yeah you know what i mean it, it'll work yeah. it'll work eventually in my funeral it's just it just has it's, it's universal <laughs> oh my god i want yeah i want at my funeral i want people just doing the like bow wow wow <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing i think uh i think sorry go ahead. i was gonna say i mean i when i when i when people talk about like you know i don't know like all these like greatest artists ever and you think you know people are always talking about i mean predominantly you hear about a lot about it, like i don't know whoever but like george clinton is is up you know the things george clinton has done in his career um unbelievable yeah oh i think i mean there, there aren't many like, people whose whose careers have been so uh you know, uh, good from beginning to end, so influential, et cetera. And um, I think also, you know, one of the things about this particular uh, song that always gets lodged in my head is that, you know, I have a very, I have a very evasive cat living in my apartment who <laughs> finds, uh, you know, every sort of looking cranny to basically convince me that he's run away. And, and then every time I hear like, why must I feel like that? Oh, why must I chase the cat? <laughs> I feel like there's some kind of like, I'm like Sisyphus kind of thing. Like, you know, like, <laughs> you know bound, bound to spend an eternity, like looking under cushions and panicking because I can't find the cat. Although I'm, I'm sure that's not quite what he had, uh, he intended with that lyric. I love it. I love it. Your cat, who is the, is the true star of your Instagram. Absolutely. Feed. Why it's, it's all I got. Yeah, you got to give people what they want. Exactly. Or at least me. I don't know about everybody else, but That's I'm always excited when uh, I get, uh, There's a disproportionate amount of interest in my cat content over my uh, personal or musical content. So I, I get the message. Give the people what they want. Give the people what they want. Okay. Well, what is the song that you used to love, but now you find it, you listen to it now and you're like, oh, this is kind of cringy. This isn't so great. I think, you know, I used to be a DJ. Um, when I was young and foolish and had my whole life ahead of me. And um, I I had credible phases of that, but also in the beginning, I had a very protracted, uh, not so credible phase where I was, uh, you know, new school breaks and uh, break DJ and producer. And I think my selection is more based on picking a track that represents the sort of fallacy of my decision-making process. So I'm going to, I don't know if this is, <laughs> obscure or not because it was not obscure in the uk at the time but it's it by a group called the plump djs and it's a song called electric disco and i don't think that the song is in of itself terrible mm -hmm. but i think the entire world of music that i was participating in in this phase was terrible and i guess it brought me into contact <laughs> with so many bad parties so many terrible people so much bad music and you know and i yeah. listen back to this extensive Part of my career i put out i don't know how many records 20 maybe or something like this and you know uh, all the kind of blood sweat and tears i spent you know working on unpopular music um to play at bad parties um i i think about how i mean the, the good thing about all of that uh, for me was that it was an extremely soul destroying and thus humbling experience so <laughs> i guess it made it easier to sort of like die inside a bit earlier <laughs> but um well <laughs> There you go. I, I never, I, I'd never heard this song. I like this was outside of my world, and um, the thing that the thing that stood out to me is the bass sound. Like it felt very familiar, and like, and especially like hearing you say that because like I was thinking about you know some of 
yeah, maybe the, like the stuff you were doing, like Joker stuff from like 2010. Well, that was a bit, and, that was, that was kind of re recontextualizing the cringe into something right. a little bit more less cringy. But, um, I think, you know, if you had been in, involved in dance music around the year 2000, that would have been one of the big records of the year kind of thing. And in some sense, it's, um, beautiful to see how quickly everything is forgotten. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Yeah, I never like never heard of this track. Never heard of the project. It's, but it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, early two thousands dance music. They had some bangers within their context. Um, they also very famously got. Um, I mean, I say very famously for a group that's not famous anymore. They were. Uh, they got um, bands from America. Uh, I think after playing. Oh. Um, oh, what was the club called in DC? Uh, come on, brain. No, that's not going to come to me. Uh, nation, nation, it did come to me. I think they basically got caught with like some drugs or something like that, and they got banned from playing in the um America during their oh. sort of peak career or whatever. So that was pretty cool. Um, other than that, well, yeah, hey. best forgotten. Well, there you go. Um, well, kind of, sort of the other, not really the other way around, but maybe like adjacent here. What what's a song that? Most people or certain people, I don't know, people hate, but you, you love it. That's also a kind of difficult question just because I'm not, I really have no context for what I know. Cause most music I like, is probably not popular, but, uh, but yeah, so I think for, for me, I had to kind of reach a little bit deeper into the vaults and go for John Denver. Um, I've chosen, uh. I've chosen Annie's song just because it is one of his most saccharine pieces that still mm-hmm. somehow, you know, I, I, you know, I think we probably had the John Denver's greatest hits record when I was a kid. He was on the Muppets mm-hmm. as well. No, so yeah, that, that kind of gave him some, John like, Denver and the Muppets is some early, legend. early cred with me kind of thing. So I think mm-hmm. like, but I would generally say if that came on and I left it on that most people would feel uncomfortable. <laughs> That's fair. I, um, I, yeah, I, I love John Denver too. I think it's a sim- I, I remember John Denver at the Muppets. Um, and I think, yeah, I think we had a John Denver's greatest hits record in my house. And the thing, of course, the only thing I ever think about this song anymore is Eden for the longest time. Like she's really bad with lyrics. Um, and she, I, she was convinced that the lyric was like a summer in springtime, which makes no fucking sense. I like but, it though. I like, like it though. It's, it's kind of like climate change. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. John Denver was ahead of his time. Yeah, <laughs> I just find the whole John Denver story also peculiar. Kind of his his sort of death in some kind of strange plane. Yeah, but very... I think um, I think the other thing about this song is just the 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 tone of the of the lyrics. It's it's quite quite peculiar. If I just I'm going to just read the first two stanzas. <laughs> Um, you know, just, just as a kind of open invitation, yeah. Zayn, so you fill up my senses like a night in the forest. And usually fear is what fills up my sentences in a night in the forest, but yeah, like, <laughs> like the mountains in springtime, it's fair. Like a walk in the rain could be the same thing. Like a storm yeah. in the desert. Okay. So the storm in the desert, that feels like a kind of rare thing, right? A walk in the rare rain. Rare and intense. Where, walk in the rain doesn't seem... I don't know, mountains in springtime, whatever, like a sleepy right. blue, blue ocean. I'm, I'm not really sure about that. But then you fill up my senses, come fill me again. So that is a very peculiar invitation. It is. Um, uh, because I think now we've, now we've, we've kind of left the, the purely sensual and we've moved into the sexual. And then, yeah. 
and it seems to be one that's it's an invitation to receive but then the next stanza it's like come let me love you let me give my life to you so that's very active yeah you know? but then then passive again let me drown in your laughter let me die in your arms i would be very suspicious oh. of a lover who asked me to Yes. Die. Die. Well, held them. yes, unless they had an accident or something. Uh, let me lay down beside you. Let me always be with you. I mean, all right. Um, come, let me yeah. love you. Come, love me again. Because I think when they say that, let me always be with you, they 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 rarely think about time spent on the toilet. Right. <laughs> come on, that's that's that's, true that's, that's commitment. Love. That's that's commitment. Um. It's hey, I respect yeah, it. No. I respect it. I guess I just can't. I can't really relate to that level of commitment. I've been I've been married for twenty years, and we are a strictly door closed uh, in the bathroom. Everybody family, needs so. a bit of space. Everybody needs a bit of space. You know? Everybody needs a bit of space. Yeah, no. I see. I never. I like this is one of those songs that's just been sort of like there as a th in my life forever. So I hadn't. But that's now that you've yeah stopped and read the lyrics like that, it is very strange. I guess the other it's also a little bit incoherent. It's bad poetry, but that's fair enough. But I always well, thought we, that it was like a knight in the forest, but like a knight, like as in knight errant, you know. So I thought it was more about being like no noble, like like he's evoking. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's more just about it's a nighttime yeah. in the forest. Which the forest and the yeah the forest at night is terrifying yeah objectively objectively <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah objectively terrifying yeah, yeah, yeah. this is why i don't go camping yeah among <laughs> other many reasons but it's like you um, fill up my senses like a scream in a vacuum <laughs> <laughs> um, i'm now i'm intrigued by that version of the song that was the that was the pre-edited version yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well it's I could see in a in a some world that that was the pick for this next question um, for some people. But what what is the most romantic song? Uh, so I went with Jeff Buckley and Elizabeth Fraser, All Flowers in Time Bend Towards the Sun. I, I did initially have that one down as the one that always makes me cry because it does it does both. Um, yeah, I think, you know. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm kind of I'm more into like Elizabeth's bits than, than Jeff's bits, to be, to be fair, but somehow it all works as a kind of conversation. Also the kind of, um, just knowing the kind of context and the background of like that record and their relationship mm -hmm. and everything. I think it, it, it feels like one of those strange kind of duets that is more like, um, an artifact of, uh, two people experiencing intense emotions mm -hmm. rather than something that's constructed. Yeah. It's um, God, that, yeah. It's uh, the the first sort of big note that she hits. It that's like when I don't know. It just kind of everything stops or something when I'm listening to it. And uh, didn't she think this like was like wasn't ready for, to be released or something? I don't know. I, I thought I read that I somewhere. But was. I mean, obviously, yeah, yeah. I don't think it was never really officially released. I don't was think it? So. I don't know. I mean, I I, um, I came across it on um, on YouTube really years ago i think during a breakup as well and i think i just basically you know listened to it on repeat for a couple of days and just cried for for, for like two or three days <laughs> yeah. it's i mean yeah it's it's pretty perfect <laughs> as far as like 
as song goes and um yeah i think this is one of the ones like i said this is one of the ones you, i think you could this could have been in any many categories and it would have been like oh yeah that makes sense i mean um, the, the lyrics as well sorry each time we pop a uh -huh. song just with lyrics uh so the lyrics my eyes are a baptism oh i am filth and sing her into my thoughts oh phantom elusive thing oh all flowers in time bend towards the sun i know you say there's no one for you but here is one it's pretty it's, i would say uh you know as, as a literature major i would say it's 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 fairly it's very it's a strong strong sonnet <laughs> yeah it's uh it's certainly better than john denver's yeah, poetry. Yeah, I, would, I would say you know, there, there's, there's space in the world for it all but yeah for sure right yeah no this is, i i hadn't thought about like like you i probably yeah i came across it on youtube i don't know how many years ago and just yeah i think i just listened to it over and over again and then i i don't know i hadn't thought about it in a while and then putting it back on this week it was it, it was kind of like having that experience all over again in a way and it was just it kind of yeah i don't know it's like one of those songs that just sort of stops you in your tracks totally um awesome song i'm yeah i'm glad you picked it because now i'm gonna try to remember to listen to it more often well i mean i can't listen to it all the time because it's also like you said it just it's also a bit like d destroying that's uh, yeah like, it's definitely one you, of those but... like are you all right man kind of songs like... yeah <laughs> right so like, you've been listening to this like over and over again like maybe you should talk to somebody um well, what is the song that changed your perspective on an artist? I, I wasn't really sure how to interpret this uh, question. Um, I think, so inevitably, I decided to interpret it as um, in a negative sense. <laughs> okay. No, see, that's the great thing. Like, I think I think of it as in a positive sense, but I have, yes, this is what I'm here for. So for me, for me, you know, as somebody who was like 13 in 1994, like, I think the the Wu Tang Clan, like you know, still to this day, um, they hold a very particular and formative place in my you know sense of music and thinking about music, etc. But I, you know, I left America in '98, and that was around when Wu Tang Forever came out. And I think one of my sort of last memories of being in America was listening to Wu Tang Forever album in a car and, and feeling slightly confused why you know I didn't really relate to that much on it and trying to not knowing much about music production, just understanding there was something different about the music production that I didn't quite relate to, but, you know, there was a few good songs like Triumph, et cetera. But um, I think when I was, I remember being in England and seeing the video for Gravel Pit uh, by the Wu-Tang mm -hmm. Clan on television. And then I was like, yeah, they, they were past peak Wu-Tang. We were, we're... <laughs> and, um, and I think it's weird because I guess, because all those guys are like 10 years older than me. And, and so weirdly, but they're sort of like this this kind of oracular unit, which shows me, you know, in a macrocosmic sense, what the rise and fall of like musicians and their careers hmm. are, and how time treats musicians, etc. You know, for example, there was like a two uh, series, uh, like you know, a two season television series about the Wu Tang that the, the RZA produced, which I, I was I was completely glued to it. And um, but again, it's this kind of weird mixture between like nostalgia and horror about time, the passage of time, and um, <laughs> and like uh, I don't know, like yeah. So the gravel pit it hit me pretty hard because <laughs> well, they're all dressed up and kind of fled Fred Flintstone era kind of you know yeah bedrock that, type like, of that was, it's, that, was, um, that was weird. And I think if we get <laughs> if we get to some lyrics, um, you know, it's check out my gravel pit. 
and this is depicted in the video as them being in you know, some kind of quarry. Check out my gravel pit, a mystery unraveling. Uh, Wu Tang is the CD that I travel with. Don't go against the grain if you can't handle it. So what we've got there is an A B A implied but not complete A rhyme scheme, which doesn't it doesn't really I don't the mystery unraveling bit I don't really see how we you know where where, where does that where am I supposed to rhyme that? <laughs> how, is that yeah. where, how am I supposed to understand that that um that uh you know uh, concluding foot of that uh. I'm not entirely sure, but, uh, you know, so I, I just feel, I felt a little bit let down and I felt like I, I can't any longer take them seriously as a creative force. And so that, that, that was the end of some kind of phase of my youth. No, I think that, I, I mean, I think that's such an interesting just concept or a, a, like a thing of, yeah, where there is an artist or someone who until a certain point is, it's just like, you know they're amazing or what and but that moment where it's yeah it turns to where it's like okay you're past your prime you're or what and it's such a weird feeling yeah i think i think some of, them, that. some of them manage i mean like ghostface killer um you know i think he managed much much better i think um uh you know raekwon even quite yeah. late on had a i think um only built like in volume two or whatever it was called that you know that right. was it was solid, but I, I just think that, like, yeah. I mean, weirdly, I, I feel like the the, the bio the bio um, series um, did a lot of filling in my, the gap of my knowledge, fictional or otherwise, about the Wu Tang Clan. So I kind of I understood that there were a lot of forces working against them, mm -hmm. continuing a kind of to operate as a, such a large band. And I, I too was in large hip hop bands when I was in the year two thousand, and I, I I very well understood the pressures of trying to keep the, the unit together. So. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> this is yeah. My first project was this like hip hop band. I, I was a, I was a sort of producer. Uh, I wasn't on the oh. I wasn't on the mic. You were on the mic. I wasn't. I wasn't. Oh. I wasn't in the cipher somehow. But um, yeah. But I, I was on the MPC wow. two thousand. So <laughs> yeah. My beats I were, had no idea. My beats were slamming. For, you know, but uh, that was that was my first my first love my first passion. Well, there, I. I had no idea. Le See, I'm learning all sorts of new things. Flash dance oh, plus one. the Wu Tang equals empty. Right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> now, if I write a review of it, I'm just going to talk about those things a lot. Yeah, and people, people, like, people, people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, pants on it. And, and I'm like, mm. no, no. <laughs> sure. Irene Cara. That's really. <laughs> Listen to the open synth line of the um, Flash Dance thing. You'll get it. Um, well, we, we've been talking a lot about lyrics and not, and, well, sometimes in a good way, sometimes not in a great way. Um, what are your favorite lyrics, whether it's a song or just a, like a specific line? Yeah, I, I find this question like um, really, uh, really, really challenging because I think it, I, I don't necessarily like uh, relate to mus mus music lyrics. Like I, I mm -hmm. never remember anybody else's lyrics other than songs that I've written. Even then, it's it's a challenge. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I think probably the, you know, as a consequence of that, I decided to go with "The Winds and the Rain" as sung by Alfred Deller. The um, I, I don't know what you would call him. He's sort of pseudo castrato, but I'm, I'm not sure what that's actually the term for the range in which he's singing. But it's 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 up there. It's 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 way yeah. way way up there, and um, 
you know, the, the, the lyrics themselves are just taken straight out of um, Shakespeare. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I guess that's just one of those things that you can't really... <laughs> You know, I I just take it back to the bard. <laughs> you can't really because really, otherwise, I don't know. I mean, you know, I I really like uh, most of the lyrics on on the Liquid Swords record by Jizza, but that's that's that was a difficult one. Um, you know, <laughs> but it, it's yeah, like no, it's very difficult good. for me to even like um, to even remember lyrics. The <clears throat> so the winner like Alfred Dell, I never I never even heard of he, he is gangster and he's gangster <laughs> do, yeah so who i mean who i mean this song and that yeah like his voice i mean it's unbelievable it feels like i don't know it's it's like the sound of like ghosts singing in the ether or something it is so I mean, otherworldly I, I guess like technically like he, he's a countertenor uh you know i, I think um Whoa. I think Castrato was like, you know, kind of, it was canceled yeah. a long time before that sort of thing. So it's, it's basically like, you know, it's, it's kind of a, you know, it was sort of a Renaissance revival or Baroque revival um, of kind of, um, of music in Britain. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like, if you're into loot, you know, if you're, <laughs> who isn't, you know what I mean? If like you know on the uh, on the Dale he likes to listen to Green Sleeves or whatever, then I think um, I think Deller Deller will uh, uh, appeal to you. But there's something very particular about this piece in general that uh, the lyrics and his style somehow combine to be extremely haunting. And uh, yeah, one of the things that irritates me a little bit up to is, is just the, the conclusion uh, concluding um, couplets because they are because it is just a bit of Shakespeare, so it. It starts referencing the play like that they're in but up to that <laughs> up to that bit um i mean because so basically the, the, the whole lyric kind of works between alternating between a line and then hey ho the winds and the rain so it's like when that i was in a little tiny boat <laughs> with the hey ho the wind and the rain so basically if you ignore all the with the hey ho and the wind and the rain which which are gangster objectively yeah. The lyrics themselves, when that I was and a little tiny boy, a foolish thing was but a toy, with hey-ho the winds and the rain, for the rain it raineth every day. But when I come to man when I came to man's estate, gainst knaves and thieves, men shut their gate, with a hey-ho the winds and rain, for the rain it raineth every day. But when I came alas to wive, by swaggering I could never thrive. So basically he's like he's basically saying it like that the world the world's not open somebody who's chosen to live that life and um and i guess uh that's something i think we can all relate to yeah that's oh i i i want i've been having a bit of a weird moment with like early music medieval music so this is something i intend to explore more because i was again like so this is i never this is it it, for lack of a better phrase it felt very british (laughs) i'm not surprised i hadn't heard of it in some way all right right right, um and and i don't mean that as like a you know a good thing or a bad thing well you know the meaning of the word british changed a lot in my mind i I think before 2016 the word british was a kind of concept that expanded the sort of regional like whether it was welsh english scottish northern irish concept of being in the united kingdom to something that me as a kind of, you know, child of a Scottish mother uh, and, you know, Jewish American father 
could somehow with now with a British passport could somehow be included in. So I could think, oh, I'm British, and that's like just an expansive concept. Mm-hmm. But now post Brexit, I just see like the notion of Britain to be a kind of sort of rotting imperial, imperial um, you know, I see it more of like a cynical attempt to sort of entrap more people and more identities into um, a sort of, you know, English imperial concept. So uh, I don't know, British could be a pejorative now as far as I'm concerned. That's fair. British beef, you know. This, but yeah, this fe- this felt very much like a thing that would have, I, I would have been a thing over there or like more. Um... I guess it just depends if you're in the conservatory or, or what, you know what I mean? I guess, well, that's a weird thing yeah. about music. Is... You know me, I, that's where I, so you, I have so you much spend your, spend your afternoons. <laughs> so, yeah. But the, the main point is like, it. I thought it was incredible and I wanted, I, yeah, I started reading about him, and I was like, I need to. I'm gonna have to. I want to hear more of this because, like, I've. Um, if you I've find any other, a... if you find any other killer jams by Deller, feel free to share them. Okay, I haven't done that kind of due diligence to really go into you know his extensive uh, catalog. Yes. <laughs> so yes, I will. Any any Alfred Deller bangers that I come across, I will pass to you in exchange for pictures of your cat. <laughs> sounds <laughs> sounds ideal. <laughs> What is a song? What's the song that you have or you can listen to the most? Um, I mean, I, I don't think that this is necessarily a song per se. Um, but I was, I think the thing that I've listened to the most in my life is Brian Eno's Thursday Afternoon. Um, I think because it's, you know, he, I think it was the first CD ever made. And so he made something that was exactly the length that a CD could right. um, play. And it's basically a loop. And it's, I don't really, I have a very mixed feeling about um, Brian Eno in general. I, um, mm-hmm. A friend of mine was like, oh, why don't you come see Brian Eno play at the Philharmonia here? And like tickets were 230 euros. And I'm like, why would I, why would I do that? Right. Why would I do that? And, but at the same time, oh, for someone who does seem to have been the right place at the right time numerous times, um, you know, I can't get away from the fact that the record is completely perfect. And I've just had to, I've just had to forget that somebody made it. Um, and, um, you know, uh, I mean, I guess it sort of comes out of the same sort of approach and period as, um, you know, music for airports. And mm-hmm. remember my friends around the corner here, their friends are Connie Plank's son, and they're doing a documentary about Connie Plank. And I kind of overheard uh, some of the outtakes from the music for airport sessions. And there was like one piece on it that was like such a fucking banger that didn't make it on. I was like, it was like, it was possibly the best thing I'd heard ever. And, um, <laughs> but I guess what I sort of take from that rightly or wrongly is I think um, maybe, you know, we've got a lot more to thank Connie for, for that music. Um, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a horrible person. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure. Sure, Brian's very talented man, and um, I um, but yeah, but anyways, I I just think it's something that dropped from um, you know, Pluto, and uh, it exists, and now I can listen to it um without a break for twelve hours and never get bored of it. I yeah, I was th- I think there's like some pieces of music, and I I I talked about this recently on this with some other people about different pieces of music, but the, it feels like they just they just sort of exist in the 
war like the universe or something and you can and they're just there to tap into whenever you want to or need to like um i was talking about it yesterday in relationship to rainbow and curved air which is obviously very different than this but it's like yeah it's a perfect piece of music to me but this this has that same feeling to me where it's just like yeah i could well, I don't know that I could listen to Rainbow and Curved Air for twelve hours on repeat. I might start to go crazy because of <laughs> Well, but it's, it's it's I think I think it'd be a pleasant kind of craziness. Yeah, that's true. I think it would yes, it would be. It would be like a really good trip. Yeah. Um But this is like yeah, it it, it feels like it can just exist when you need it for as, as much as you need it. And it's and it is. It's weirdly it is it's weirdly perfect. It's hard in some ways it's hard to believe that like a a human made this music. Yeah, because of how but I guess like, a human didn't really make this music because it was basically just tape loops. You know what I mean? So, well, that's fair. You know, that's so fair. it's it's <laughs> kind of more like I guess it's generative music for you know, but some some person you know did some editorial and made some decisions, of course. But um, I don't, I, yeah. I was thinking about this back to Green Thieves. Uh, like there, uh, there's obviously an apocryphal. It's, it's an obviously apocryphal story about Green Thieves, but the idea was that Green Sleeves was overheard by somebody uh, when the fairies played it. And that's how it sort of came into being. So somehow this idea that this uh, this piece of music existed in this kind of spectral uh, realm, tangential to the human realm, and it had just been overheard. It's, it, it sort of undermines this idea of authorship, that this sort of music just somehow exists innately in the universe kind of thing. Um, and so I, I think, I you know, I think any time you ever experience like just having a fragment of music come into your mind and then you know desperately trying to get it down and maybe not being able to you know that this sort of sense i can't say that i ever had the feeling that like i decided to do something and then it happens and then i get to take credit for it <laughs> do you know what i mean like i don't right. you know like it's the, the nice bit about making music is more like going back to it a couple years later and being like oh wow i don't really understand how that happened but that's really good and that's like the best experience i can have of making music totally yeah i'm I I interviewed Laraji a few years ago and he talked about it as like he pulls music from the air. That's how, and I thought that I was like, okay. Nice. Thank you. If it's good enough for Laraji, it's good enough for me. Um well okay, so what's the what is a lyric you thought you knew but learned it was something else? And when you learn what it was, it blew your mind. Um, so I think um Boogie Chillin' by uh from John D. Hooker. <laughs> uh was you know i that was a is, is a tricky one because i think also that's probably objectively the best record ever kind of made um but yeah. there's uh i'm just gonna get the lyrics up so i don't misquote them um but uh so i guess i you know, listening to this piece of music since i was a little kid and i i used to think the lyric was well my mama she didn't love me i used to stay out all night long oh lord <laughs> Right. So I was like, oh, that's uh -huh. really, that's really sad. I was like, that's really right. sad. <laughs> like, and, um, uh, but then I, I sort of decided, like, at some point I was going to pick it, I was going to sing the song. Uh, and then I looked at the lyrics and I was like, oh, it's, it's, well, my mother, well, my mama, she didn't uh, like apostrophe loud, like, she didn't allow me to just to stay out all night long. Oh, Lord. And which makes much more sense because later on, it changes the entire meaning. <laughs> Because later on, in the final bit where he's saying, I heard Mama and Papa talking, and I heard Papa tell Mama, let that boy boogie-woogie, it's in him and it's got to come out. And he and he felt so good. I was like, well, that's that's nice that his dad seems to love him, but it doesn't solve the problem that he hasn't been loving mother. 
But but now now I understand that you know he had a very loving mother. It's just that she didn't let him stay out all night long to boogie woogie, and it took like the you know it took his father's um, intervention to allow him to boogie woogie at, at the Henry Swain Club down on Hastings Street. Um, and uh, so yeah, oh. it's uh, it's a much happier song than I I presumed it to be. Yeah. His mom was just trying to look out for him in the way that she thought she she needed to. Yeah, I was. I have to say, I was. I was deeply, deeply That's pleased. To, deeply pleased it. to find out that his mama did love him. Um, it is. It is the blues after all. It, 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 well, right. You wouldn't have batted an eye if it was really about like my mama didn't love me. It's like, huh? Yeah, it is. Okay, I guess that happens. Johnny Hooker singing blues. <laughs> Um, oh, that's great. I love that. Um, okay, well, we're in the home home stretch here. We got two more to go. What is the song that means the most to you? Not necessarily because of the song itself, but because you like you associate it with someone or a certain experience or, you know, something like that. So I'm going to go with Future Sound of London by Papua New Guinea. And I think, like, for me the kind of this it's the kind of closest direct articulation of the feeling i had in the 90s in relationship to rave and to ecstasy mm. and like i guess for me it's less it's more less about the, the thing that it evokes that's meaningful is a kind of a sort of cross section of emotions i guess there's some weird mixture of kind of euphoria and sort of hope and optimism for a future some sort of sense of like a very present kind of fictional modernity, um, you know, that kind of way that even when you look back at the 90s, it seems so like technologically provincial, so to speak, like at the time it felt, you just felt so aware of the sort of emergence of a new set of possibilities that were, you know, almost, you know, without exception, disappointing. But, um, you know, so I think in, for me, like, even though that song came out quite a few years before I actually moved to uh, Britain um, and sort of had that sort of formative experience, it's still like, just puts its finger right into that part of my brain mm. where, you know, all those sort of latent pockets of MDMA still lurk. And, um, uh, and yeah, so I guess it's, it's, I, I don't know if I even want to call that nostalgia. It's more just like kind of, uh, some sort of time travel. I hope that isn't nostalgia. Maybe it is. Maybe it's a tragedy. Mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This, um, like this was uh, not a world I was ever any part of. Like I started, I got into like electronic music much later. Um, I can't believe this is from 1991. <laughs> like, I kind of when I was listening to it the other day, I was I when I was like, when did this come out? I was genuinely shocked. That, that whole is... album that it's on is is like killer from beginning to end. It's like so uh, prescient. It's like. I don't know. Yeah. And I, I think it still completely stands up. I mean, I guess obviously with this sort of weird cyclical nature of electronic music, I just don't right. think this, it's not like anything much has kind of really bettered it in a sense. Like, I feel like the orbital kind of also, you know, occupying a similar, let's say, emotional palette with their music in, you know, the same period mm -hmm. and into the 90s kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, somehow that record, and also the fact the record was a hit is quite astounding kind of thing. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I like 19 I'm th I thinking back to 1991 I, I just I don't know my brain can't make that connection that this is 30 <laughs> years old cuz like somebody could just could send this to me and be like oh yeah this is this new thing that's coming out next month and I would just be like oh okay 
Yeah, I mean, and not just because of the, like you said, this sort of cyclical nature and the, you know, some of the stuff is coming back or whatever. Just it, there are so many parts of it to me that still sound contemporary. And I don't know, I, yeah, it blew me away. I really, I'm, I'm going to have to listen to the whole album now. Because, yeah, it's great. It's a really great album. Um, Well, we've, we've come to the last question and I, and I, I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What is your favorite song? So, yeah, so I'm, I'm just going to go back to Boogie Chillin'. And um, yeah, I, I think, I think for me, it's such a, a like a reduced sound palette. It's just kind of got the essence of song in it. It's got the kind of, it's so, uh, it's so uh, intensely, I don't know to, to express this, it's like, it, the, it, it is like a kind of masterclass in like groove carrying everything. It's like the feel mm-hmm. of his guitar playing, the kind of uh, this thump of his foot. It's It's all that the entire underlying music is. But it's completely, it's complete. It's a hundred percent complete. And um, mm-hmm. and I guess also emotionally, like the, uh, in a sense that the kind of the, the lyrics are, are, I guess, mundane when you kind of get down to the actual arc of it. It's like mom doesn't want you to go out. You know, you're talking about you, you know, there's this club and like everybody's fucking, you know, uh, having the time of their lives there. And then finally, you have this thing where, like, you're seen. You know, your 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 dad says, like, no, no, this is this is him. This is what he's gonna do. Like, let him do it. There is that kind of like, I guess it's a, it's not. It's it's sort of like the the, the arc where, like, you know, dad hugs you and tells you he loves you and that he's proud of you, kind of thing. But somehow the emotion conveyed by this song itself and by the performance is like, it it feels like life and death. It feels like um, yeah. like kind of agony and ecstasy. And and I guess there's somehow the capacity for this sort of um, mutual presence of sort of uh, the mundane, uh, you know, sung as if it was sacred and made sacred by how it's performed. I think uh, it just becomes something that's like, it's like essential, entirely essential. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's, I, yeah, I totally agree with that. I just, I love the song and I, I forget how much I love, like just listening to him play, He's so, it's one of the, like, he's so good, but it sounds, it seems so effortless. Like, it's just, it's an extension of his, like, body or something. And, I mean, uh, it's, I don't know. Like, I I always feel like, and and I'm guilty of this, too. Like, people talk about, like, something seeming otherworldly, and they are often talking about, we see it a lot with, like, experimental music and stuff like that. But it's like, this, to me, is, like, otherworldly, that you can, that there's in some ways this very simple thing is conveys and does so much i mean and it's and it's not simple like i don't want to diminish i'm not trying you know that diminishes what it is but it it, it's he's so he's so good god he's so good it's just it's just you know whatever thousands of years of life you know uh, of, of human of human essence and hundreds of years of pain and uh you know but just distilled down into i mean i think it, it for me i see it, it, it's like kind of you know a, a japanese calligraphy it's like it's like the simplest yeah. stroke that conveys the most and I, I kind of feel like as a as a inspiration for how to approach not just making music but most things in life i, I really mm-hmm. look at that um it's just it's it's just like kind of a golden ratio it's just 100 percent perfect and it's very inexplicably perfect somehow i I think that is the perfect place to end. Um, before we go, 
The new empty set EP is out when? October 20th. And you guys are playing some shows. Yeah, we're just playing a few shows um, for all the time. So we're doing Berlin Hate Tunnel uh, this weekend, September 16th. And we're playing in London at Village Underground on November 5th. And then at Bristol on the Ides of March 2024. And uh, yeah, that's March 15th. He- heading back to Bristol on the Ides of March. All right. Beware. Um, yes. <laughs> As it should be. I don't know. I have no idea why it should be that. Um, okay. Well, thank you for doing this. This was My pleasure. a whole lot of fun. And lovely. Yeah. Cool. Really lovely to talk to you. Take care, bud. Bye. Once again, a million thanks to James for taking the time out to do this, especially Empties. Uh, I had a big show in Berlin the day after or something. And so he had a lot going on. And, you know, that's. It's really kind of it. Um, you should follow him on Instagram for all sorts of updates on what he's working on. And perhaps most importantly, pictures of his wonderful, beautiful cat. And as a reminder, if you go to our YouTube channel, link is in the show notes, you can find a playlist of this episode and every other episode so you can listen to all the songs we talked about. And maybe some of it will make more sense or maybe it'll make less sense. I don't know. That's up to you. As for me, you can, of course, find me on Instagram, Twitter, Blue Sky, Mastodon, shoot me an email, all of those things. As I mentioned, patreon.com slash Foxy Digitalis. You get some extra stuff, supports the cause. It's good for everybody, right? Um, I hope you enjoyed this. And until next time, as always, just keep listening to whatever the hell you want. Mm-hmm.